But without faith, it is impossible. It's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Please be seated. If you are visiting, wow, that's loud. If you are visiting with us, let me say to you that we are just as pleased as we can be to have you. And hopefully, uh, earlier today, you had gotten one of those little packets. And in that packet is an attendance card. If you filled that out, if you'll pass those towards the aisle, I have some gentlemen who will be coming, making their way down that aisle, and they will pick up those cards for you. Uh, we are grateful to have you here with us. Located in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 18, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, Peter would write those final words of 2 Peter, would say, Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think it is to a fault that we as the church have focused all of our attention on saving those who were lost. And here's the reason why. Sometimes we forget about those who have been obedient. So there's a process that happens after one is saved from his sins by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus the Christ. And Peter would mention that in 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse number 18. Growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus the Christ. What is your faith like? Yours individually. I know at some point in time it began by a faith that your parent or parents had and were grooming you hopefully as they would bring you to those Bible classes and you would become familiar with, with God's Word. And then at some point in time you would be obedient to that gospel and then your faith would begin to grow. Many times what we have is uh, people who go to Bible class, understand those things, are ready to be baptized, and once they are, they stop. They, we, we stymie our own faith because uh, probably one of a hundred reasons. Maybe we, we figure we don't have enough time or perhaps uh, our schedule is too busy or maybe even we could be scared. But what we want to focus on today is making your faith your faith. Why it belongs to you, why, why it should belong to you. And understand this fact as we look at the idea of making your faith your faith. No person will ever make it to heaven on the coattails of someone else. I can't ride the coattails of Michael and his faith and his study to make it there. I'm going to have to do my own. And you're going to have to do your own. The problem may come up when we ask this question, well, then what is faith? If I'm going to make that faith my faith, what exactly is faith? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because most of you looked at me and say, what are you doing standing here, preacher? Because a preacher's faith is never shaken, is it? <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. 
We could stand here probably and regale each other with stories of, of traumas and incidents that happened within our lives that would, would shake a person's faith very down to, the, down to the very core, and it doesn't skip over the preacher's home. It's just where it is. Do you know why we all have those things? You know, you're looking at me like, I know I'm not supposed to answer out. Here's the answer, because we're people. And we live around people, and people have problems. That's just how it goes. So I stand before you as a person who has problems, and looking at the idea of being faithful unto God. As you and I look at the word faithful, we need to understand some English, though, of course we do, right? It's always a, a good day to bring in English or grammar to a sermon, right? Emma loves it. We use words in the English language, some that are concrete, some that are abstract. A concrete word defines terms or events, something that can be measured or observed. Bible. Puppy. Breakfast. It's all these things that when we hear those words, there's a picture that comes to our mind, isn't it? But when you look at an abstract word, it defines an intangible quality or concept. What picture comes to your mind when you say the word trust or love, friendship or anger, faith? Just because maybe no no picture pops into your mind and, and you don't have a definite uh, picture in your mind about those abstract words does not mean that they are not important. Just because concrete words have certain pictures that pop into my mind don't mean they're more important. But to understand those and understand what is faith, we need to understand the difference between concrete and abstract words. This funny word that you can't really read on the side there is pistos. That's a Greek word. You know what that means? Take a guess. It's right there beside it. It means faith. It is a persuasion that is a credence, a, a, a live by a motto of moral conviction in the truthfulness of God, especially the reliance upon Christ for salvation and, by extension, the system of religious truth itself or, or the gospel. It is also... Uh, Translated in our English Bibles as assurance or belief, believe, faith, fidelity. All of those words come from this root Greek word. A moral conviction. First, in the truthfulness of God. God which cannot lie. Especially upon the reliance for Christ in salvation. You know, the blood that was shed on that cross so that it would cover the world of sin. And by extension, the way you and I understand those things. Paul would write this way, this, this way in Philippians chapter 3, whereby when you read, you may know the mystery of the gospel that I hold. It would be one thing for God to be truthful about his salvation to man. It would be another thing for Christ to be uh, shedding his blood for the salvation of man would be a whole other thing for me not to know about it. 
But because God has done his job, and because Jesus the Christ has done his job, and because that Holy Spirit of God has done his job, we have all three seen in the idea of faith. Now, if you ask anyone in this time period, in 2022, here's what you'll read. A strong belief, faith is, a strong belief in God or God's, or in the doctrine of religion, based on spiritual apprehension, now notice this, that's been underlined, rather than proof. Wait just a second. Go back to where Michael started us in this particular Bible study to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1 and verse number 6, where God through the Spirit uh, and through man would write this, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in this six. For by faith, or without faith, it's impossible to please him. For they that come to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, is this definition true, or is God true? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Here, as you look around the people in our world, they would tell you that faith is a belief in something that you cannot prove. Hmm. It's, it's no wonder. It is not a shock or, or any kind of, of mind-blowing ascension to understand why we have so many problems dealing with the word faith. Well, we can't even define it. Is it something without proof? Is it something that is proof? What is it? And is faith, as it's commonly used in our society, does that differ from biblical faith? And... Is the faith that I think that I have in my being biblical faith? So these are all questions we're going to have to answer in order to find out how faithful you and I are, in order to make our faith, our faith. You have to answer this question. Is the faith that you have assured on the rock of salvation, or is it fluid as it has no proof? Does it move with the wind? Does it move with the changing of opinion? Or is it assured on what God has said? Now, I don't know how to answer that for you. But you're going to have to answer it. Let's look at biblical faith. Let's understand what biblical faith is today and then make sure that our faith that we have mirrors Biblical faith. Number one, biblical faith is required. Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus would say, Go into all the world and teach to preach the gospel, baptizing. That's not right. That's Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, but it's a good parallel. He would say, uh, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned. 
Did you see that phrase? He that believeth not, that is, he that does not have that biblical faith that is required to understand that Jesus is the, was the Messiah sent from God during that first century who was offered on a cross outside of Jerusalem on a hill known as Calvary. Three days later, he rose from the grave, walked out. Fifty days later from that point, the church was established. He that believeth not will be condemned. That there'll be no other possibility of how God will save man other than this biblical faith. John chapter 16 verse number 31 as Jesus is speaking to his disciples for for just about the last time 14, 15, 16, and 17 he's having a discussion well 14, 15, 16 he's having a discussion with them 17 he's having a prayer 18 he's going to the cross. John chapter 16 and verse number 31, he tells his disciples, you're going to need that faith to be saved. Not to to become a member of the church, not to uh, impress your friends or to, to do this or to do that. He said this faith is going to be required so that man is saved from his sin. Now, does that include me becoming a member of the church? Yes. But in order to be saved, mankind is going to have to have biblical faith. And it's in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4 where we read John write these words that faith is what overcomes the world. My mother used to say it this way. Boy, don't you know that the truth will stand when the world's on fire. Mm-hmm. You want the things that will surpass and overcome this world? Yes, I do. Then you need biblical faith. It's a must in order to be obedient to God. John chapter 3 and verse number 16, 17, John writes once again that whosoever believeth in him uh, shall have eternal life. As a matter of fact, in verse number 17, Jesus would say, as he's speaking to Nicodemus this whole time, I didn't come into this world to, to uh, condemn it, but I came to this world to save it. Good. Well, then how am I supposed to be saved by Jesus the Christ? Biblical faith. Biblical faith has legs. Biblical faith does something. You want to see where biblical faith is not found? 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, King Saul, king of Israel, is given specific commands by God to go and to take over the Amalekites, kill every one of them, all of their animals, which would include their king. All right. First, let's ask this question. Raise your hand if you understand what Saul was told to do. Okay, kill everything, kill everyone, kill the king, kill the animals, destroy them. First Samuel 15, we see the prophet Samuel walk up, having a great day, and met with this king who says, I have done all that the Lord has commanded me, to which Samuel replies, why do I hear so many sheep and cows? And isn't that the king over there? Did he do what he was told? Shake or nod. Did he demonstrate biblical faith? 
Shake or not? No. Biblical faith that is required is required by doing what God says the way God says it. You remember the, the excuse Saul gave? Well, I was going to keep the best out for sacrifice. I was going to keep the king out for That's not what God said. And because he didn't do those things that were required the way they were required, God was not pleased. As a matter of fact, at the end of, verse, at the end of chapter 15, what you'll see is the, the kingship has been taken away from him, although he will never relinquish it. And Samuel never comes and sees him again until he dies. Biblical faith is not only required, it's personal. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 would let us know of a certainty that it is personal. That whosoever heareth the word of God hears those words of salvation. What we'll find in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 are these words. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, let's, let's break that down for just a moment. Once again, let's go back to English class. Look at your copy of the New Testament there in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. And I'd like for you to put your finger on the subject of that particular sentence. It's going to be difficult because it's not found there even though it is implied. The implied subject is you. For example, how many of you are parents? How many of you have ever looked your precious child in their face and said, clean up this nasty room? Is that just me? Okay. You then have used sentences with implied subjects. Who are you implying that to? You clean up this nasty room. And so in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, he's saying, You, Christian, individually, you study to show, here's your indicator of that uh, subject, that, that inferred subject, study to show thyself yourself, you, study to show that you are approved unto God. A workman. I'll see all those singular words there. Not the, a workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Biblical faith is personal. I'm going to have to do it. Once again, I can't rely on Michael to do it for me. I wish I could. That'd be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? I can't rely on my mother to do it for me. She's had a lot more experience. That would be great if I could. That's not what's required. John chapter 3 and verse 16. Look through your Bible aside from the place where you have inscribed your name or even perhaps had it printed on the outside and find where you are responsible. Where does it say, Billy Hayes, you must obey the gospel? You see one that says, your name there that you must obey? Is this thing on? Can y'all hear me? Do, do you see where it says your name is there and you must obey? No, so you must get a pass, right? Okay. John three sixteen. that whosoever 
That whosoever includes you. Those who have been exposed to the truth now have to make a, a choice. Everyone who has been exposed to the truth now has to make a choice. Let me say that again so you'll understand it. Everyone who has been exposed to the truth has to make a choice. And there's one of two choices. You can either make the choice to follow that, or you can make the choice not to. But you're going to make the choice for you. And I'm going to make the choice for me because biblical faith is personal. I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. You're going to decide what you're going to do. Notice John chapter 12, verses really 43 through 48. We land a lot on chapter 12, verse 48, where Jesus says, The words that I have spoken, those shall judge them in the last day. See there, we're going to be judged by Jesus' words. Yeah, but back up just a little bit. As we're looking at what he's saying and why he's saying those things, Notice what happens around verse 43 or 44. Every, a lot of people throughout the synagogue heard, and yet they wouldn't do anything with it. Why? Because they wanted to stay in the synagogue. Because they wanted that praise more than the praise of God. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? They chose. Now, they didn't choose correctly. They didn't choose that, that which would benefit them, but they did make a choice. And even today, in just a few moments, when this particular sermon wraps up, you're going to make a choice. It needs to be mentioned here, especially in the personal, that the idea of um, original sin, that is, the idea that I, as a human... Uh, receive the guilt from the sin of Adam is completely false. Here's why I know that. Because I also don't receive the faith of Adam. <laughs> if sin is not transferable, neither is faith. If faith is not transferable, neither is sin. Matter of fact, Ezekiel chapter number uh, 20 and verse 18, Ezekiel writes, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither the father the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. And as God would write from the garden all the way throughout this book, you and I are going to have to stand on our own two feet, in front of him on that day and I'm going to give an account for the things that I have done and you'll give an account for the things that you have done and sin is not transferable neither is faith biblical faith is personal biblical faith is required biblical faith is growing as you and I read Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 at the end of verse 6 or at the beginning of verse 6, what you'll read is going on to faith. Going on and pursuing and, and growing in that faith and, and becoming a, a, an adult. Becoming an adult. Although in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, we have read quite frequently Jesus on that mount of... of uh, uh, on that Sermon on the Mount there, 
After those beatitudes are gone and after he uh, teaches about those for a while, he begins to teach about being light and being salt, being those who are, <clears throat> who are lights in a dark world, being those who are tasteful or flavorful in a, in a very bland world, and that that's going to take some growth. Here's why. How many of you like to be recognized for something good? Thank you, Andy. By the way, put your hands back up. The rest of y'all are liars. Everybody likes that, don't we? Sure. But in verse 16, there's an interesting point about maturity that's made here. That they may see your good works and glorify the Father. The, the interesting idea of maturity is they're going to see my good works. And what I want them to do is say, boy, Billy's such a good guy. When in actuality, what they should be doing is saying, look at the grace that's extended to God. Or extended from God to him. 2 Peter chapter 1, those Christian virtues that are there. And add to your Christian life virtue, right? Add your faith what? Virtue. Add your what? Add your what? Does, any, does anybody hear what I'm saying? Add to your? This is the point where you say faith. Where, matter of fact, we're really not going to move past this until you say faith. Is you ready? Add to your what? Faith. Is it required? <laughs> Absolutely it is. Is it required for me? Absolutely it is. It's also required to grow. Add to your faith. Virtue and virtue, knowledge and knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, and all those things. But there must be something on which virtue is added. That faith has got to be there. It's, that's the base level. That's the very ground level of growing is faith. Remember, we mentioned 2 Peter 3 verse 18 just a moment ago about growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you'll find Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 and 13. Biblical faith is growing, but not in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, 12 and 13, the Hebrews writer would write there, man, I, you, you ought to be growing. You, you ought to be desiring to eat of that meat, but where you still are is in milk. You ought to be searching deeper into God's Word, but you're still on the surface. On the surface. Let me show you on the surface. You ready? Psalm 23 is commonly used around the time and the place of funerals. Correct? It's very comforting, isn't it? You want to be comforted by that particular idea? Read Psalm 22, 24, and 23 in that order. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a good shepherd in 22. 
one who takes care of and supplies all of those needs for all of mankind, one who's giving of himself on that cross. Chapter 24, you're going to see a bridge to God. And if you read it close enough, and if you'll dig down in some words, when you start chapter 23 and you read verse 1, You'll stop reading Psalm 23, verse 1, saying, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I don't have anything else to concern myself with. And you'll begin to read it how it's written to where it will say, The Lord is my shepherd, I choose not to want anything else. Ooh, that dog will hunt. But you don't get that just reading it on the surface. Don't be scared to dig down deep and to dissect God's Word for what He says because so many of us are satisfied not being spiritually adults. We're satisfied with being... How many of you would love to go back to age 11 and stay there forever? Me either. But so often we choose spiritually to stay there. Because we don't want to put any effort into growing. Biblical faith is required. Biblical faith is personal. Biblical faith is constantly growing. And finally, biblical faith is fragile. Colossians chapter 4, Philemon uh, verses 23 and 20 through 25 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 all deal with the same guy. Colossians chapter 4, Demas Greet you. Philemon, Demas, my fellow laborer. Second Timothy chapter 4, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and has gone off into Thessalonica somewhere. Since the ink was drying on 2 Timothy chapter 4, and since Timothy was the first one to open it up and read it to a congregation, we have, as the church universally, been trying to dissect why Demas left other than learning the lesson that he left. And here's the lesson to learn. I'm not any better than Demas. I could leave too. What was it that drew him away? I don't know. What is it that would draw you away? Hmm. When we begin to learn those lessons, we begin to look at it differently. And we begin to understand how fragile that faith can be. It can be, I think, in Colossians, as he's being greeting, uh, sending greetings to others, and in Philemon, where he's a fellow laborer, I would believe with everything I have, he is, he is right there in the moment, and that he is serving God faithfully, and that everything that he has is being pushed out that way. But for some reason, somehow, his mind has gotten turned away from God and to the world in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And that can be me too. 
It would even be Paul who would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that he has the opportunity, verse number 27, to baptize and to teach so many and to usher so many into the church and to allow them the opportunity to be saved by God's plan through Jesus' blood. And at the same point in time, he himself could become a castaway. Now, the word castaway there is an interesting term. Because it doesn't mean anything about a FedEx plane or an island or a volleyball. That's a movie. It means everything trash. What do you do with trash? This one's easy. I throw it away, right? You want to see the term, lest I be thrown away, lest I become trash, useless refuse. After teaching and teaching so many of how to be saved, I myself am found to be useless before God. That's Paul's fear. As he looks over what he's doing, that's his fear. Now, you and I and everyone who has ever become a Christian has had fear about something. I have heard that those who of the older generation are afraid that they haven't done enough. Paul's in that same boat. What if I have done all of this and yet I lose my own soul? No, it's going to be because I've been turned away like Demas. Because faith is not something that is set in stone as soon as it's there. It's something that must be coddled and protected every day. Every minute of every day. You want to make your faith your faith? Here's how you do it. One, be sure it's personal. Be sure that you believe what you believe and why you believe those. And you can find all of those things found within the Bible. Two, Make sure you have that faith that is required. Three, make sure that you understand that that faith has to be growing. Cannot be neutral. Four, protect that faith with everything that you have. I don't like this slide, so I'm just going to change the words on it right now. Is that okay with y'all? This slide says, I broke this. We'll put all these pieces up here. It's just a battery, don't worry. This slide says, living by faith is the most, or one of the most difficult tasks on earth when I haven't died to myself. Now I'm going to amend that. Are you ready? Living by faith on this earth when I haven't died to myself is impossible. Can't happen. Living 168 hours a week by faith when I haven't died to self is impossible. It's easy to do it for four hours. That's easy. Do, do y'all know I don't wear this suit every day? 
Do y'all know I don't wear a suit every day? All right, for you who don't, when I come up here, I am not in a suit. And aside from being in a camp situation, I can't remember ever preaching without a suit on. You, you know, you, you take a shower in the morning, make sure everything is smelling right, deodorizing everything or washing off other things. You, you make sure your hair is right and that your glasses have been cleaned to my glasses so that I can see out of them for some reason. Make sure your tie is, is straight and your shoes mostly polished. But I don't do that on Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. I don't do that on Wednesday morning. If God required me to wear a suit all day to be faithful to him, you could come up here on Monday morning and I have a suit on. Thursday morning, have a suit on. You go by my house on, in the summer on a Friday afternoon, you'll see me cutting grass in a suit. Because those are the things that God has required. My option for wearing a suit is to give God the best that I have. In my job, in, in my preaching, in the way that I would appear before his children, But if I don't die to Billy Hayes, Billy Hayes is going to die twice. Romans chapter 6 teaches us about that, especially around verses 1 through 4, where man has been raised to walk in the newness of life. He's put away that old man. Especially in chapter 6, verse 7, verse 12, really through about verse 18, where if I've died to sin, I'm no longer entangled there with it. I, I don't follow it anymore. I'm going to be a slave. As a matter of fact, what Romans 6 will say, I'm going to be a slave to something. You're going to have to pick the Savior or you're going to have to pick sin. Remember earlier in the lesson when I said you're all going to have to make a decision? It's time. Make a decision. You're going to follow the Savior. You're going to follow sin. Because this kind of having faith, sort of a little bit. Now listen, I'm going to be real frank with you right here, okay? This kind of being here, kind of not, is killing the church. Either have it or don't. But you've got to pick. You've got to have that faith that God would require. You've got to have that faith that says... Whatever God says to do, I as his servant am going to do. Even if I don't understand all of it. Even if I don't understand why I should hear and why I should believe. Or why I should repent or confess or be baptized. The easiest answer to that is because that's what God said to do. Why do I have to live faithfully? Because that's what God said to do. Stop killing the church and make that faith 
your faith. Right now, either by putting Christ on in baptism or by coming home. The choice is yours. Make it while we stand and sing this song to encourage you. I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that